we're glad to be here tonight. This is a, a fun new format for Firesides and we are grateful for this opportunity and I'm glad that we get to do this together. Our topic tonight is on how and why to fear not. These principles of faith are applicable to any area of our life, not just finances. It's applicable to our relationships, to our health, to other areas of concern, whatever we are struggling in. And so whatever you may have come with questions about, um, I just hope that you'll hear in these ideas, principles and tools that you can use to apply to anything. Our come from was in financial pain. And so our stories, our experiences, our reason for searching out these answers and for what we've come to is is because of that. Uh, just a little bit of introduction. This is our family. We don't have all of these kids here, but this was our family. And honestly, this was my dream is to just be a mom and have a family and live happily ever after. And uh, after we got married, we were hit pretty hard with reality of what adulting looks like when you're young and newlywed and are not prepared to be financially independent. And uh, I, I just remember for the next seven years, we just felt like we were always almost drowning. We felt like we were drowning. We didn't have our educations. We married young and we started our family right away. And uh, what do you remember about what it felt like to be a, a husband, father, provider yeah. in those years. Well, it was it was a challenge too because we got like Leslie said, we got married young, and uh, what, I, I was fresh off my mission. And what you were twenty, mm -hmm. just turned twenty, I think, and uh, and we were starving college students. And uh, I remember losing a lot of weight because we weren't eating very much. And uh, it was just it was kind of a, a scary place to be because you know we're we're taught. The, the pinnacle is that temple marriage. And then what's next? Endure to the end. And, you know, it's like, we just felt like we were in this place, this place of limbo where we just didn't feel like we had any real, real guidance or instruction for like the next step in life. And at the same time, saddled with going to school and working multiple jobs and just trying to, trying to make ends meet and uh, just struggling. You know, it was it was a new experience for both of us, and it was quite a challenge. You know, and I remember prior to that, I had I had worked really hard to develop faith in God. I mean, that was that was what got me through lonely high school years when we moved my senior year to a what felt like a foreign country. It wasn't; it was New York. But <laughs> um, I had I had developed faith that if I was just obedient and righteous, everything would work out. And so I worked really hard to be as obedient as I possibly could. And after we got married and it felt like the rug had been pulled out from under us. And I, and I'm like, where's the miracle? Where, where's the provision that we've been promised? Aren't we righteous? Aren't we trying? Aren't we, I mean, of course we're not perfect, but we're trying. And so where, where is the, where's that support? And I felt abandoned. I fell into depression. Like I said, seven years is a long time to be feeling that way acutely you know, from day to day. You know, we had always planned on Leslie staying home from work and raising, raising the kids. It had never been, uh, you know, our intention that she would go to work when we had kids, but we started having kids pretty soon within a, a year or, or year and a half or so after we, we got married. And so then it was needful for her to work. I just wasn't able to in Provo find the kind of work that I needed to be able to support the family. So it really, it really kind of drugged me down and made me feel like I wasn't a good provider. And so it, it was a real hit on my self-esteem as well. And to give some perspective on what it was like and where our headspace was, at least, at least I can speak for myself. And that, that is, um, I mean, I'm 5'10 and I got down to 125 pounds. And I remember um, going, we, one of our jobs was uh, midnight janitorial after school, after other, other jobs. And uh, we, we used to clean Stephen R. Covey's office in the 1990s. Um, mm -hmm. I've never met the man, but I've emptied his trash many times. And uh, I, I also remember going to those offices and when someone would throw something away, half their lunch, I would take it out and I would eat it. That's kind of where we were coming from. 
And I remember being so stressed once I walked outside and some neighbor kid had broken my broom in half and I called the police. That's where my head was. So just to give you some perspective on that. Yeah, it's not that just that we were the typical starving college student. It was it was desperate. (laughs) It was really it was a really tough situation. It was desperate. And we were we were proud. We were trying not to show that we were struggling so much. And that that's a hard place to be. But we went in search of what are we doing wrong? Because, you know, we've been told that there is a lot irrevocably decreed before the foundations of the world. If you want a certain blessing, you live obedient to the law that is connected to that blessing. And I had just kind of collapsed it down to, if I'm just righteous, then we will prosper. And, and uh, because you've, you've heard that the righteous shall prosper. And I thought if I'm just good, then we'll prosper. And we found out that there was a little more to it. And it comes down to how you have faith and what that faith looks like and how you apply it. And it turned out to be a lot more simple than we were making it. And since then, you know, we had, we had a big breakthrough. We figured it out and, and blessings started to flow in a different way than they had before because we'd been so stressed, so worried, so upset, so fearful that we weren't seeing the answers that he was trying to give us. And through tonight, I'm going to show you kind of what that was. But I can fast forward to, um, you know, we'd figured things out. Things were going better. Um, I was I was home with the kids. We were living into what we'd imagined. And we had heard that promise that if we would just live the principles that Jesus taught, don't worry, you know, neither be of doubtful mind. Your father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I know this was Jesus speaking to his disciples who were sent out to preach the gospel, but the principle is true for us as well. And we believed it, you know, and we, we had our breakthrough, but then fast forward to the recession And now I can point to the recession as experience number two that really, really tested our faith because the faith that we had learned through that first experience didn't seem to be working this time. And so we were searching for deeper answers. So in in order to answer this, you know, we'd heard this promise, but the answer to that is, well, okay, so he's going to provide for us. Well, how, who's, who's going to help us? When is that relief going to come? Where is it going to come from? And, and, why are we having to wait so long for relief? It's when you pray and you feel like your prayers aren't even leaving the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like why, why do I not feel the connection that I normally felt when we feel like we need it most, you know, where is that, where's that communication? It feels like no divine ear is listening. Like President Kimball said. Mm-hmm. And the conclusion we come to is that there's no way we're looking at, we're looking at maybe the pile of bills we have and we're looking at our income and they do not match. You know, we know what's coming in and we know what has to go out and it just, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. And so how, how is the Lord possibly going to help us meet our needs when there is this discrepancy? And here's something that I came to. If we're unable to accomplish what God has asked us to do, provide for our families, stay out of debt, build the kingdom, serve missions. I mean, a lot of what we've been asked to do takes money. And so... If we are feeling stuck, like, you know, we're, we're trapped, we are trapped, we're maybe in bondage to debt, we're in bondage to this discrepancy of what we need is not matching what's coming in. It feels like bondage. And the scriptures are full of stories about bondage. It's a theme that runs throughout. And we're supposed to find answers to life's problems in the scriptures, but it can be kind of frustrating because the scriptures can feel cryptic or irrelevant. And I want to just take the idea of a challenge, a dilemma, a problem, whatever, and compare it to the Midianites. When you really get into the scriptures, like I did with this story of the Midianites and Gideon, I my mind was just blown wide open because it was one of those experiences where I, I, I'm looking for answers, I'm looking for answers, and when this came to light, I'm like, oh my gosh, how come how come this isn't talked about on a daily basis around the world? This is this was so huge to me to understand how God helps us in our challenges. So let's look at the story, the affliction. In Judges 6, 6, go ahead, Trevin, I'm going to have him be our reader for the scriptures. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. So let's look at this. When we feel impoverished or needy, we pray, right? That's what we were doing. We were doing that too. 
Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. So here's what God is telling Gideon right now. He's delivered his people before. And what he's asking us to do is to remember how merciful he has been in the past. This is the first step to aligning with the principles of faith that help us get what we need. It's like in Moroni, 10.4, Moroni's promise. His promise is that if after you have received these things, if it's wisdom in God that you should receive them, to first remember how merciful the Lord has been from the beginning of time. Moroni 10.4 is pray and you'll, you'll get an answer to know that these things are true. But if you back up into 10.3, what he has you do first to prepare before you ask is to remember how merciful he's been. So it's, it's a formula. First, remember his mercy from the past and then ask for what you need. God has delivered his people before. Now, what's interesting about this is that he is telling this to Gideon about 1200 BC. Israel had been released hundreds of years earlier. And so to Gideon, this felt like ancient scripture. When God says, just remember how merciful I've been to, uh, to Israel. I brought you up from Egypt. Now, Gideon was a descendant, right? And so that was his people, but this had happened hundred years prior. And so to him, it felt like ancient scripture. And he's thinking, well, that wasn't me. That was the Israelites. I'm here and now, what are you going to do for me? And I felt that way. You know, I read inspiring stories in the scriptures and I think, yeah, he gave them a miracle, but this is right now. This is me. How, what's he going to do here? So how often we hear in the scriptures, remember, 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 because that is the first step to accessing the next blessing. So here's what he says next. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. Again, God has delivered his people before and he asks us to remember how merciful he's been in the past. You know, we are to remember how merciful he was to the Israelites even though that's even more ancient scripture to us. Uh, but there's a pattern. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of? But now the Lord hath forsaken us. You hear that? I'm not mm. just making that up. He was mm. like, yeah, well, that was back then, but what about now? You know, and we were in such a mess at the time. The only thing that could help us was a miracle. And what's, what's interesting is that Gideon was about 1150 BC, about 1200 BC. Moses was 1400 BC. Abraham was 2100 BC. So like Moses heard the stories of Abraham, but that was ancient scripture to him. And he had that to deal with. Gideon was being taught about Moses and that was ancient scripture to him. Well, Gideon's story feels like ancient scripture to us, but the principles again are the same. So here's the plan. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Now, what I want to call attention to here is how he says this, Thou shalt save Israel. This is kind of like a patriarchal blessing in that it's what is promised if you'll trust him and go in your might. It's the promise. It's what his possible future is. And whatever you need, that is your possible future because he's promised to provide. And so think about what it is that you need. Do you, do you, you just want to be taken care of. You want your needs to be met. You want to be able to provide for your families or whatever your faith application is that you're looking to do. And so look at that as the possible future, just like saving Israel from the hand of the Midianites was his possible future. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And just like Gideon, we give all of our excuses why what needs to happen looks impossible. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hands hath saved me. So basically, Gideon's got these 32,000 men in his army. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you Midian, the Midianites into your hands, but you have too many people. In other words, you've got too much going for you. Because if I help you solve this problem with the visible resources you already have, you'll think it was you. And I think we can relate to that oh, when, totally. when life is going good and we're providing well for our family. And it's easy to think that we are the ones providing for our families. All right. So basically what he said is go to your, go to your soldiers and, and find out who's afraid. Whoever's afraid, send them home. Now, therefore, go to. 
Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. When the challenge is bigger than you, it's perfect. It's exactly how God wants it because he wants you to know that it's his victory. So basically two-thirds of them had fear. The ones remaining had courage. And the lesson in this that I gained from it was that it's better to fight or approach the problem without fear, even if the remaining faith is small. And we're going to find out a little more about why that's important. So in other words, capacity is not the advantage. Capacity is not the advantage. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water. And the number of them that lapped hand to their mouth were 300 men, but all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink. And what he said was, those who uh, brought their water up to their mouth, keep them and send everybody else home. And he was left with 300. And the Lord said unto Gideon, by the 300 men that lapped, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand? How would you be feeling? (laughs) (laughs) Terrified. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and you can look at these these soldiers as a representation of your money. If you've been, if you've lost a job or if your work has been reduced, you know, maybe 32,000 was looking pretty good. And God's like, no, I've got, I want to show you. I want to show you what I can do for you. And so he strips away what we think we have going for us. He strips that away. And again, he's saying, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. It's still a promise of something future. By this small thing you have, by the meager contribution you have to make, I will save you. I think it's just amazing that here he was already afraid, already doubting. like Even with 32,000. Yeah, with 32,000. And now he's down to 300. And this is supposed to make it better? You know, (laughs) it's like, how is this reassuring me? Right, right. I love this. Okay, so I didn't love this when I was learning it, but I love understanding it. So the plan, send the fear away which he did with the first 22,000. Then he brings the men to the water and sees how they drink it. And I, I may be the only one that sees the symbolism in this, but to me, water is symbolic of Christ. And so in our lives, when we are facing a challenge, we've got to send the fear away. And that can be hard to do. We're going to talk about how to do that. But send the fear away and rely on Christ. Come unto Christ. This is God's revealed formula for solving all of our seemingly impossible challenges. And he loves impossible challenges. He loves them because it, it, it gives him an opportunity to show his hand in our life in a way that he can't the same way when things are just going swimmingly. So we've been learning how to come unto Christ with the um, Come Follow Me program, right? We understand what it means to follow Christ. We, we try to be like him. We try to serve like he did. We try to love people the way he loved people. We get that part, but the part we don't know how to do is the eliminating the fear, getting rid of the fear and worry. And that can be, that can be a challenge. And that's what kept us stuck all those years. We we would get hopeful about our future. And then, you know, another uh, car accident or late bill or something would throw up in our face. And we're like, Oh, and we'd get angry and we'd get upset and we'd get fearful again. Like what's going to happen to us if we can't get this fixed and all the while just worrying. And that's where we were trapped. So he retained those 300 men and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. So I want you to picture this. They're up somewhere in, in the hills and down in the valley are the hosts of Midian. And the victory was declared because, um, go ahead and read this. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. Notice past tense is now the way he's saying it. It's no longer, here's what will happen in the future. He's saying, this is what has happened. I've delivered them into your hand. And it hadn't even started yet. The the, the battle hadn't even started yet. So sometime between their trip to the water It goes from future tense to past tense, from what God will do to what God has done, all before the work itself begins. And whether it's finances, health, or relationships, it's something that we can do by following God's pattern, declaring the desired result as though it's already happened. God does this all the time. Um, why, Why did Adam call Eve Eve? Because she is the mother of all living. And that's before she ever had any children. Um. Another thing I want to point out about this is that somewhere 
between the water and them going up into the mountains that night. This shift that took place where the Lord declares it done, I think, this is my opinion, that even though Gideon had been fearful all along, he was obedient. He went to his men and asked who was fearful, and he sent those men home, even in his fear. He was obedient. And then when he was told to reduce his army to 300, he was fearful, but he did it anyway. And those, those things that he did demonstrated obedience. And I think there comes a point where if we are obedient to what we've, what we've been asked to do long enough, the Lord says, okay, it is enough. It's enough. And I declare it done. And then you get to work doing it. And that's what Gideon had to do. Here's what I think is beautiful. He understands our fear. And this is a piece that I, I've been, I've been telling this story for at least 10 years. And it was only last year that I looked closer and in, into the scriptures where this comes from. And I noticed a piece that I had never seen before. I'd never seen it before. And I'm like, how have I missed this all these years? And that was that it wasn't just about reducing the army and then let's go conquer the Midianites. It was he recognized that Gideon had fear and he wanted to address it because he needed Gideon to proceed without fear in order for him to perform the miracle. And so he, he provided for even that. He provided for that emotional concern. And this is what he told him. But if thou fear to go down, he knew he did, go thou with thy servant, I was thy servant <laughs> down to the host. If you fear to go down, go down with thy servant to the host. So let's see how this plays out. Go down to the enemy. Exactly. That's what he's doing. Mm -hmm. He's like, go to the host. Why would he do that? He already has a remedy in place. And thou shalt hear what they say. And afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. All right. So what, what is he saying? He's like, all right, Gideon, if you're afraid, go to the enemy and listen to what they're saying. And then you'll have strength to go and conquer. So he obeys, not knowing, not knowing what was going to happen. He goes down to the host. He goes with his servant onto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. So he went because that was the condition. If you're scared, then go. He's going to the enemy to listen to what he will hear. He has no idea what he'll hear, but that was God's instruction. God's prescription for strength was to go face his fear. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number as the sand by the sea, but seaside for multitude. So he knows he's got 300 people, and he looks down, and it's terrifying. And while he's there, he overhears two guys talking. One of them tells about a dream, and the other one interprets it. He's talking about a cake of barley bread that tumbles down and smashes the host of Midian, and his friend said, um, he, he asks him, what does this mean? Okay, those look like potatoes. They're actually barley bread. But he asks his friend, what does this mean, this dream I had of barley bread going down and smashing the Midianites? And his friend says, and Gideon hears this, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshiped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. He got the courage he had needed by hearing the enemy say that Gideon's going to smash us to go back to his men with the faith and confidence that God needed him to have to rally them to have the faith. So Gideon finally believes. He returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. I can hear his confidence. I can hear his confidence. And he, he gained that confidence by facing his fear. And I just want to throw this in. This wasn't part of the original plan to share this, but one, I had a, okay, so during the recession, the great recession, you know, that was really hard on our marriage. We had invested in too much real estate at the top of the market and it all started to unravel very my, rapidly. My bad. <laughs> well, we, I signed the papers too. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> but as we were watching this whole thing collapse and mm -hmm. we were thrown back into fear and honestly, things were worse during the recession than they had been when we were newlyweds. <laughs> the only difference is that we had some tools and we, we knew what to do with that fear. It was just really hard. It was really hard. And uh, I remember 
um, having a conversation with a marriage counselor because our relationship was struggling. And he told us a, a brief story. He said, you know, I, I had a couple come into my office once and they were just at each other's throats. They were stressed because they had a utility bill that was, was overdue and their utilities were about to be shut off in the cold of winter and they were worried about freezing. And so they're just in this upset. And he's like, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, what would you do if your utilities are shut, shut off? And they just, oh, you know, they just couldn't communicate through that. They couldn't think through that. It was just too scary for them. And it wasn't a conscious thing because, I mean, you know, we live in a modern society. You're not going to freeze to death. You have a, a home. But um, what was happening is, is there is the, a, a part of our mind, the subconscious, that is designed to keep us alive. It keeps our heart beating all day long. It keeps us breathing through the night. It, keep, it, it gives us adrenaline when it thinks we're about to die. And it can't tell the difference between a, an experience that has been imagined and one that is actually happening. That's why you can go to a movie and watch a horror flick and get this adrenaline because it thinks you're going to die. It thinks you're about to be eaten by a monster and it's giving you the, 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 the literal hormone you need to escape the jaws of death. And so what was happening with these with the, this couple is since they didn't know what it was like to be without utilities, their subconscious mind thought, well, you might die, literally. You might decease. You may cease to exist if you don't have the warmth you need. And therefore, it gave them this, this fight or flight kind of a response. And communicating with the spouse through that emotion is really, really hard. And when you get to that place, your, your brain just shuts down. You yeah. know, it's like amygdala hijack and you just, you can't it's function. Yeah, it's survival. It's, yeah. And so he said, look, I know you're trying to think positive and everything, but honestly, that subconscious question is not going to go away until you give it an answer. And so what are you going to do if the utilities get shut off? Uh, no, come on, look, you're going to get out some more blankets. You're going to maybe put some, some water on the stove. Um, I think the electricity was going to go off, but they still had gas, you know, whatever. I don't remember what the story was, but he walked them through what they would do if their utilities were shut off. And, and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, well, yeah, we could do that. And they could calm down and then get back to the work of their relationship. And so we fought that we struggled with that when we were in a amygdala hijack, you know, during those recession years. And it was really important for us to answer the question what if we lose our house? What if, um, what if our business fails? What if, whatever, just answer all those questions well. And, and we didn't love the answers. You know, sometimes, well, it'll take us a while to recover from that. But, but you have to answer the question before you can get back to faith. And so that is something that I think Gideon's story shows us is that he had to go face what he feared. All right, so then how did it happen? Well, the Lord instructed them in the middle of the night to get up and take pitchers and their trumpets and to break their pitchers and blow their trumpets all at once. And so they did yelling the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And when that happened, the Midianites woke up. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And what I imagine here is happening is that the Midianites are, are woke in a panic and probably drowsy and confused just started killing each other. And not one of Gideon's men lost their life in this. So they, they did it with 300 men. I want to point out that it is, it, it's, it's not about the how. Like, it's, it's easy to see, you know, how it transpired now looking back and that it was successful. But the Lord could have invented any how, right, for, for uh, solving this problem and helping them win. It was all about the faith. And it's the same with us. We don't know how it's going to happen. I think about the disciples that were worried about the temple tax. And Jesus is like, you know what? Go throw a line, grab the first fish, pull the coin out of his mouth, and go pay your tax so we can get back to our ministry. You know, it, 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 I think the, the message in that story is that you don't have to know where it's going to come from. The Lord can provide. And it begins with believing in that. So the Lord is aware of you. Remember, Gideon was in 1200 B.C., Right. And he's aware of you even now. So I'm going to fast forward to the 1800s. We're kind of coming up to modern 
modern time a little more. And he said, Behold and hearken, O ye of my church, who have assembled yourselves together, whose prayers I have heard, and whose hearts I know, and whose desires have come up before me. Mine eyes are upon you, and the heavens and earth are in mine hands, and the riches of eternity are mine to give. So what about these latter days? Well, all the times that I asked and didn't receive, how can I believe that he's going to provide? Um, has the law for receiving changed? So I'm going to show you one thing that really kind of hit me between the eyes. And that was in DNC 67.3. Trevin, go ahead and read this. Ye endeavored to believe that ye should receive the blessing which was offered unto you. But behold, verily I say unto you that there were fears in your hearts. And verily this is the reason that ye did not receive. Uh, you know, that harkens back to Gideon. Send the fear home. And we're reminded too that it doesn't take a lot of faith. It just needs to be a little bit of faith, but no fear. And I, I found this interesting. I remember years ago, I was in preparedness. I had a calling in preparedness. And in DNC 3830, it says, if ye are prepared, ye shall not fear. It wasn't ye shall not suffer, or ye shall not die, but ye shall not fear. Mm -hmm. Because that is the greatest blessing to have no fear. Because it's in the absence of fear that the Lord can do miracles. Has the day of miracles ceased? Or will he, so long as time shall last, or the earth shall stand, or there shall be one man thereof to be saved? Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for it is by faith that miracles are wrought. Wherefore, if these things have ceased, woe be unto the children of men, for it is because of unbelief, and all is vain. And I remember thinking this at one time, not one time, probably a lot of times. Wait, isn't God all-powerful? Can't he do anything? I mean, I know he wants to bless us, so why doesn't he just bless us? <laughs> and I get the agency thing. He can't throw agency away, but what if I grant him permission to intervene? What if I say, okay, Lord, help, you know, please bless us with what we need? Agency is not an issue because I'm inviting that intervention, but it's not happening. So where is it? Where's the breakdown? Is there anything else that he can't do? And this is what he can't do. If there be no faith among the children of men, God can do no miracle among them. He can't do a miracle without our faith. So we can give him our agency. We can give up our will and invite his intervention. But he's us to have faith. And the good news is that it doesn't take a lot. That picture is a mustard seed, and that is the size that Jesus is referring to when he said, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, nothing shall be impossible unto you. Here's the thing, though. The determining factor is the absence of fear. With only a tiny bit of faith and the absence of fear, it will be enough. So what do we have to have faith in? course we need to have faith in God but we also need to have faith in our future president Hinckley said this it isn't as bad as you sometimes think it is it all works out don't worry I say that to myself every morning if you do your best it will all work out put your trust in God and move forward with faith and confidence in the future so I want to talk about this faith in our future because that is something we actively need to do. It's not a passive thing. We have to be active about it. Jeffrey Holland said, I plead with you not to dwell on days now gone, nor yearn vainly for yesterdays. The past is to be learned from, but not lived in. We look ahead. We remember that faith is always pointed toward the future. Faith always has to do with blessings and truths and events that will yet be efficacious in our lives. And so faith in the future, what does that look like? I'll tell you what it looked like for us. In 2009, we were, uh, we were at pretty much the end. Like we'd been holding things together as long as we, as long as we could. We'd, I mean, and we were just self-employed. We didn't have a job. We were just kind of doing our own thing. And it got to the point where we were out of, we were out of money. We were out of credit. We had no paycheck in sight. We had seven kids to feed. We had debt like we'd never seen debt before with all those properties. I remember we had probably a couple hundred dollars left in the bank. So this is in 2009. And it was the weekend of our anniversary. And I'm like, honey, we have not let ourselves go out to eat for a year, trying to hold everything together. 
can we just go out to dinner for our anniversary and pretend like everything's okay for a couple hours? Can we just pretend like everything's fine for a couple hours? And he's like, what the heck? (laughs) It was like, it was it. And as we were at dinner, we went to Macaroni Grill in Gilbert. And I'm like, honey, I have no idea how we'll get through the week. I have no idea how we'll get through the, the month. But do you think we'll have it figured out in 10 years? Do you remember what you said? Yeah, Yeah, we'll have it figured out in 10 years. years, Okay, so let's just talk about what we'll be doing in 10 years. And that's all I want to talk about during these two hours that we're enjoying dinner. (laughs) And so we started to let ourselves dream about our future. They had, uh, if you remember Macaroni Grill, they had tablecloths that were just um, butcher paper and crayons. So they handed us crayons and we would draw out our, <laughs> our we, future. It was we fun. calculated how old the kids would be, what they'd probably be doing. We just, okay, it, in, in, in this two hour period of time, turned off the fear and actively chose to think about what we would be doing in the future when everything was okay again. That is one way to turn off the fear by choosing to think about what you want to create. I had no idea how we were going to get there. That really doesn't even matter. What matters is that you start thinking about a future you can look forward to. And, you know, sometimes it's looking forward to the Savior returning. But we're supposed to look forward to our future. President Hinckley said so. And so we started dreaming about it. Ten years from now, what will we be doing you know, and just kind of built a, built a picture around it. And we started to get excited about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'd felt that happy in probably two years. Yeah, it was, it had been a while. And we just let ourselves get excited about it. And you're like, and, and we, we were thinking, all right, here we go. So we paid the bill. And as we're walking out to the car, we hear this noise behind us and we turn around and it's the waiter running after us, waving a piece of paper. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And we're like, what? He was waving the receipt and he's like, because it's your anniversary, the meal's on us. And we had already paid the bill and they avoided it and came out to let us know. That had never happened before. This was I a chain. Like, never this had that just happen. a mom and pop sh- store. And I'm not sure how they even knew it was our anniversary. They must have overheard. I don't remember making a point in no, telling we didn't them that. Tell them. But anyway, I found, <laughs> I found the receipt last year. I found the original where we'd paid the bill, and then I found the receipt that he had voided. And when we saw that happen, we just looked at each other and we're like, this is where we need to stay. We need to stay optimistic. We need to, we need to look forward and let ourselves feel excited about it. That's faith. So again, obedience to law. There is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of this world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. And we learned how real it is that if you want to receive God's blessings, you have to have faith. So uh, Russell M. Nelson says it this way. If you really want a certain blessing, you'd better find out what the laws are that govern that blessing and then work on becoming obedient to those laws. So what are some of the laws for receiving? We've talked about them to ask in faith, nothing wavering, doubt not, fear not, have faith in Christ and in your future. Some of the things that he can do for us when we follow these laws, he can soften the hearts of creditors. He can lead you to a better job. He can help you get a raise. He can spare you from accidents or expensive catastrophes. I mean, how many times do we even know we're being spared a very expensive setback? I, I, sometimes I consciously choose to believe that we have been just to help me feel faithful. Um, he can keep your car running longer. <laughs> We've seen that. Mm-hmm. He can lead you through the storm like Israelites through a Red Sea. Before we wrap up, I want to emphasize the two kinds of faith faith in Christ, and faith in your future. Boyd K. Packer put it this way. There are two kinds of faith. One of them functions ordinarily in the life of every soul. It's the kind of faith born by experience. It's the kind of faith that relates us with confidence to that which is scheduled to happen. There is another kind of faith, rare indeed. This is the kind of faith that causes things to happen. It's the kind of faith that is worthy and prepared and unyielding And it calls forth things that otherwise would not be. It's the kind of faith that moves people. It's the kind of faith that sometimes moves things. It comes by gradual growth. 
It is a marvelous, even a transcendent power, a power as real and as invisible as electricity. Directed and channeled, it has great effect. And I think about that night that we were out to dinner and what I envision with that is us finally aligning with one of the laws that God wants us to live. Finally aligning and having him smiling, showing us that he provides and in unexpected ways. Where Boyd K. Packer says, it calls forth things that otherwise would not be. I don't think that would have happened had we gone out to eat upset. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I can't see that happening if we had gone out upset, arguing, fighting over the money, fighting over whether or not he should order salmon. <laughs> oh, you know, who had the faith? I ordered salmon. She ordered uh, soup. That's how big my faith was. <laughs> but things happen. Things happen, mm-hmm. and it's it's unseen help that that comes to our aid. Elder Holland talks about that, you know, that we would see chariots of fire coming at breakneck speed to the rescue of Abraham's children. That's what this faith can do. God is still a God of miracles. For behold, I am God, and I am a God of miracles, and I will show unto the world that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I work not among the children of men, save it be according to their faith. And I just want to share with you a few modern day miracle stories to help you have faith that it can really come from anywhere. This woman, her name is Tina. She said, let's see, I divorced after 30 years of marriage and no full-time employment during most of those years as I was a stay-at-home mother by choice. I had some residual income from my business although I'd had a mass exodus from my team that reduced it significantly. I have no spousal support, and it took me two and a half years to find employment. At age 60, I make $15 an hour. I have zero savings, retirement, own no property, and have a huge IRS debt. As of Saturday, I had about $100 to last me until my next check nine days later. Then on Sunday, I got an email that I was overdrawn by $18. A yearly emergency road service renewal had been taken out. I called immediately, and they said they were going to reverse it, but it would take until the next check to get it back. I admit that for most of the day, I was pretty grouchy about it, although later in the afternoon, I did finally start repeating, I choose to believe. Because sometimes if you cannot find the faith, if you can't find the faith, you can speak the words, I choose to believe, because if that's all you can do, that's the size of a mustard seed, and it's enough. As Elder Holland says, we get credit for trying. When I knelt in prayer that night, she says, I wept, but expressed gratitude for as much as I could possibly think of. At Christmas, a kind person had left me a surprise gift at my door, a Monopoly game. I had set it up on end against my bookcase so that I could vacuum. I noticed that the lid was slightly exposing the contents inside. My daughter's family arrived for a birthday party. I think this was months later. And my grandson saw the box and asked if we could play. My daughter happened to glance down at it. She remarked, wow, they are really making Monopoly money look so realistic these days. She went over to the box and said, "Uh, mom, this is real money. I stopped and gasped. It was a lot of money. I immediately started sobbing. Twenties, tens, fives, I counted, but I couldn't focus for the tears. I handed it all to her. She counted $300. $300 that was prepared for her months before for the time when she would need it. We don't need to have faith today to activate something new. We only need to have faith today to receive the thing that had already been thrown into the works months or years prior. What what you need, everything you need has already been prepared for you. I think about a time when we were, oh, in those first seven years. And, you know, we would try to have faith and we'd have good experiences once in a while, but it was just this overall theme that we just hadn't figured out. And uh, I looked outside one day and there were some giant dogs walking down the street in front of our home that were huge, gorgeous. They looked like horses. I'd never seen anything like it. Turns out they were muscular. They were Rhodesian Ridgebacks, which I found out later were bred for lion hunting. And so, I mean, they stand about as tall as a great Dane, but they're, the color of a horse and they're muscular. And uh, I'm like, those are not stray. Somebody has lost some beautiful dogs. So I pulled them in and put them in our backyard while I could look for the owners. 
and uh, found the owners, came over. Meanwhile, didn't know, but our dog had gotten friendly with one of their dogs, and we ended up with puppies a couple months later that turned out to be show quality looking like the father had been, and we ended up getting about $500 for the sale of those puppies out of the blue. We needed that money that month, and he sent some horses down the street a couple months before. And so, you know, I love these kind of stories that help us believe that it could come from anywhere. Here's another one. Oh, and I didn't catch their name. It was December when I calculated that coming upcoming bills outweighed upcoming income for the month by $3,000 <clears> without any consideration of Christmas expenses. I knew money could come from anywhere. I decided not to worry about it, but to expect a miracle. Can you guess where it came from? My husband called and explained we'd just been hit by a pickup truck that had spun out and lost control at the freeway exit. He was okay, but was worried that the car might be totaled, which it was. By Wednesday, we had money for our bills, a down payment for a new truck, and a little money for Christmas two days later. You know, you never know. This is one of my favorites, uh, a woman by the name of Diana. She received a certified letter in the mail which she first ignored, thinking it was just another notice from the IRS. When I finally picked up the letter from the post office, I was informed that a previously unknown retirement was waiting for me at a university where I had taught for 15 years. I had worked part-time and had been told that part-time and adjunct instructors received no retirement, yet here was a certified letter informing me of a lump sum, which had been held for me for years and growing without my knowledge. It was close to (laughs) $24,000. And while her husband was in intensive care for a stroke, she ordered some home medical equipment and didn't know how she would pay for it. But then she said, I received a call from my retirement account informing me that they had discovered another 5,000 plus that was owed to her, which is exactly the extra amount she needed. I'm going to just briefly share uh, two more. Um, A woman by the name of Stephanie, a friend of mine, she needed to pay a $300 bill, had no idea where she was going to get the money from. She worked to promote some of her art courses. The night before it was due, she said, I prayed, uh, I prayed with gratitude for all the times that God had provided exactly what we needed, exactly when we needed it. I imagined that being something that he would continue to do, and that even if I couldn't pay this bill on time, he would provide a way for that to be okay too. And the next morning, she woke up and had just that much in sales, plus $25. And here's, here's why I wanted to share part two. That was for $300. Now get this. She continues, after a long and difficult year, we filed our taxes to discover that the usual $1,500 we owed, if we were going to owe anything at all, had jumped to $15,000. How am I going to solve this one? She says, I experienced my first panic attack while sitting in my husband's truck a few days after that news came. She had uh, chatted with a friend, Erica, her dentist's wife. Basically, she was asked to do a commission painting for their reception area. And three weeks before the tax bill was due, um, her friend called and said, can we meet you at the gallery to talk about the painting? Something that had kind of, they'd stopped talking about, but this came back. She says, I rushed to the gallery. We all stood there looking at my pieces and chatting about the process. A few days later, I received an email with a list of not just the one painting that they were commissioning, but a list of over 20 paintings that they wanted at her proposed price, totaling $15,000. Long story short, it works for $300. It works for $15,000. It's, it's knowing that our needs will be met. And sometimes it's not the way that we want it to happen, but he does provide. Sometimes the miracle is in the provision that we need. Sometimes it's help with the bill that we need, but sometimes the miracle happens inside of us. And I will ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders that even you cannot feel them upon your backs, even while you're in bondage. And this will I do, that ye may stand as witnesses for me hereafter, and that ye may know of a surety that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions. And as it was with the people of Alma, he did. He did it. It goes on to say, and now it came to pass that the burdens which were laid upon Alma were made light. The Lord did strengthen them, that they could bear up their burdens with ease, and they did submit cheerfully and with patience to all the will of the Lord. In our case, we began learning to trust him from moment to moment. We had what we needed in the moment. And as we continued to recognize that and trust, he continued to provide. We would only fall into fear when we'd start thinking ahead to, oh, we don't have what we need for Tuesday, but it's not Tuesday yet. We have what we need right now. 
he will continue to provide for our needs like manna from heaven. Just want to add to that. Um, just at the end. Okay. So uh, this is one of my favorite hymns that I thought of often during our during our difficult times. This would help me have my faith strengthened. How firm a foundation. I think this is the third verse. Fear not, I am with thee. O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. And I'd like to just end with this promise. As it was with Gideon, it doesn't matter how large the problem is. Exercising faith is not just a Sunday school answer. Fear not, keep calm, trust, believe, and as you believe, he can and will uphold you. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And it begins with faith, the kind of faith that causes things to happen. I know that God wants us to discover his power through our faith and to exercise it so we can accomplish all that we were sent here to do as we prepare to receive the Lord at his return. And this is my testimony and prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. I'd like to add my testimony, brothers and sisters. I know that God loves his children. I know that he delights to show us his goodness and his ability and his willingness to just bless our lives. He's shown us so many times just over and over again of his goodness and his love and his desire to bless his children. And I know that that applies equally to all of us. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a virtual fireside by the Cortina Third Ward of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints recorded on April 26, 2020, during the COVID-19 lockdown and presented by Trevin and Leslie Householder. The video recording of this event may be viewed at rarefaith.org forward slash fireside. Thank you for listening.